You know, sometimes, like I said, some of Joshua's been a little hard trying to figure out what to get out of it. And sometimes it's good to have a devotional that helps us to understand some of the eternal purposes that God has through that. So we invite you guys to be a part of that. And we're finishing today the book of Joshua. We read Joshua 20 through 24. How many of you read? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. And the sermon title today is called Promises, Promises, because it's one of the themes that you see throughout the entirety of this section of scripture. We hear about promises, promises from God, promises from the people of Israel, promises that have been fulfilled, promises that have yet to be fulfilled. All of these things we're going to talk about kind of today because the things that we see here concerning the promises in this passage of scripture, in these passages of scripture, actually very much apply to us as believers in Jesus Christ. So same types of things that we're looking at. We're going to look at that probably in depth together. But I want to ask a question to begin with. And here's the question I want to ask you guys. Is there somebody in your mind And just think for just a moment, is there somebody in your mind, if they promised you something that you knew immediately, as long as it was dependent upon them, that promise is coming true. Is there somebody, if if there's somebody that you can think about in your mind that if they said that, that promise is absolutely coming true. Raise your hand right now. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Husbands and wives, I hope that's the person sitting next to you. That's awesome. <laughs> but hopefully there's there's somebody somewhere that if they said, "Hey, I promise this is going to happen." It doesn't mean they've always been able to fulfill those things, but as much as it's dependent upon them, they're going to do it. When I was growing up, one of the things my dad wanted to do to make sure that I understood that he really meant something is he would give me when I was real young a daddy promise. Yeah, you know, I want you to know That this is a daddy promise. In other words, as long as it's dependent upon me and the strength that God gives me, this is going to happen. There there was something reassuring about that. Because for for me, we we hear all types of different promises from other people. All all types of uh, things that are are shared that never really come to pass. I mean, we're hitting politician season. Can we say amen? Amen. Right? Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. There's a lot of unkept promises there, right? The the idea of promises and the idea of somebody keeping that promise is important to us. It it provides a, a place of stability and trust, right, for you and me. And so what we look at as we're coming here at the end of Joshua is a reflection on promises. And promises kept And we're going to look at that and understand some of what Joshua has meant through all of this, through the word of God, and understand the promises that are given to us as well as believers in Jesus Christ. So if you will, open your Bibles to the end of Joshua chapter 21, because the end of Joshua 21 marks the ending of the designation of all of the different places given out to the tribes of Israel. Last week we did all the 12 tribes, but since then, the first couple of chapters of this week's reading was divvying out the cities of refuge and divvying out all the towns for the Levites because the Levites didn't get a territory of their own. They got cities from within all of Israel, okay? 48 cities in all. 
And so at the end of this, it's a very interesting statement, starting in verse 43 at the end of chapter 21. It says this, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. That's a pretty amazing thing to be able to say right there. We've broken up the land. We have divvied it out to all the different tribes, to the people of Israel. And now we have this statement of completion. God has been faithful. We have been given rest from our enemies. God has divvied out this entirety of this land. And therefore, we can say that every word of God that he promised the people of Israel has been fulfilled. As a matter of fact, if we look at the very next chapter, the first six verses, it says this. And then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded. And you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God is giving you and your brothers rest as he has promised, return to your homes in the land that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment of the law and the law that Moses, uh, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. And then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. That's a very interesting thing. Now, we see the completion of that. But there's a problem with all of this. If we've been reading Joshua together, which we have been, right? If we look at Joshua 18... In the middle of the divvying up of the land, I want us to read this real quick. Because it seems like it's kind of a a point of contention here. Joshua 18, starting in verse 2, it says, But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. And then they will return to me. You are divided the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the house of Joseph in its territory on the north. After you have written the descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave it to them. Now, this is in the middle of all this breaking up of the land. We have seven tribes that have not received their inheritance yet. And Joshua is saying, 
God has fulfilled everything that he has promised. There's not one good thing that he has not fulfilled for the people of Israel. So much so that he releases the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan to go back home. And, and to give us a, an understanding of what happened for those of us who may not have been here when we went through numbers. We talked about all of this ahead of time. We're going to go back to Numbers chapter uh, 32 real quick just to take a look at what was promised. Numbers chapter 32, we have three tribes, we have two and a half tribes. We have um, the tribe of Gad, we have the half tribe of Manasseh, and then we have, what's the other tribe off the top of my head? The Reubenites. There we go. And what they are, They have taken over land on the east side of the Jordan, not in the land of promise. That east side of the Jordan, they said, we're going to keep this land for ourselves. And there becomes this little kerfuffle. You can read the entire chapter to get the context of it. And this kerfuffle saying, wait, are you dividing from us? No, you need to come in with us. No, God has provided for us. And so there was an agreement that was made by these two and a half tribes. And we find it starting in verse 18. These two and a half tribes says, we will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan. Because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. And then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go, uh, will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him. Then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. Joshua is saying, this has been fulfilled. Go home. But, but, but wait, 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 wait. Because the seven tribes still don't have their inheritance fully yet. Right? I mean, it's very clear. Scripture is very clear about that. So how is this fulfillment happening? Well, I think one of those places that we look at is in Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11 represents with the exception of, of Caleb's land that he goes and conquers, it represents the end of the fighting during Joshua's time. We don't hear of any other conflicts that happen after this time in chapter 11, outside of Caleb taking of the land that God has promised him. When we read in verse 23 at the very end of Joshua 11, it says this, So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance Uh, to Israel according to their tribal divisions then the land had rest from war don't read any more war right when when God has given you rest from your enemies and has divided up the land from from around you then your job your 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 job as far as the two and a half tribes is completed right you have rest from your enemies 
everything that God has commanded. When he sends out the, the spies out or the, the surveyors of the land, three from each tribe but that is left over, and they cast by lots these places that each of the tribes are going to inherit, though they don't have them yet, it is treated as if they already have it. Because they're established now in the land, in all of these places. They didn't have to send spies like they did back in Numbers. See, back in Numbers, they're sending out spies. They're looking at the land, all these enemies that are, that are going to take up arms against them because they're coming as the judgment of God. Now they're in peace with the people whom they're living with, well-established within that land. So I can send three people from each tribe, and they can survey this land that God has promised all the people of Israel. And since there is no more war, we can send you home. We see the fulfillment of God's promises. See, the assurance of the future promises given by God that they're going to have the rest of that land, even those lands that are unconquered right now, are spoken of by the people of Israel. They're based upon the promises already fulfilled by God. See, God's already taken them where they are, right? God's already brought them to this place to establish them in this place. And Joshua sees God has already been faithful in all of these things. He's going to be more faithful still. And because he's already given us these promises, we know that these promises that are yet to come are fully going to be taken care of by God. 100%. This is the down payment, if you will, for the future promises of God. Think about it. Think about where they came from. They got to see where God had taken them to bring them to where they are. And while they're not fully established there, they're established enough where there's no more war. They have a place for themselves. And God has promised the rest of that place is yet to come. Pretty easy to be able to start trusting God who's delivered you from Egypt. Pretty easy to start trusting God who has fed you for 40 years in the desert with manna. Pretty easy to trust God who over the last five years or so has helped you conquer all of these lands. And you've seen the mighty hand of God each and every time that you've been faithful. It's easy to say, God's God's fulfilled all these promises. And it stands as a down payment for those promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And so I can stand on it and say God has been faithful in everything. You two and a half tribes, go home. Because the whole idea wasn't for the two and a half tribes to stay there perpetually, right? Through four or five generations. It was to establish the people in there. And God was faithful. And these two and a half tribes were faithful. As a matter of fact, later on in that chapter, there is a, a, a little problem that's brought up because they build an altar before the Lord as a testimony that they too are following the same God as the people on the west side of the Jordan. They're like, they, they arm up and everybody runs down there because they're going to be mad at them, right? Like, don't you understand? If you don't serve the Lord, you're going to bring problems on all of us because guess what? All of God's promises are true. Not just some of them. Not just the good ones. Not just the ones that make us feel warm and fluffy on the inside. Right? 
See, the covenant relationship with Israel was a two-way relationship based upon the obedience or disobedience of Israel. God was faithful in either of those circumstances. Think about that for a moment. God was faithful in either of those circumstances. Their covenant relationship was that of obedience, which would bring blessing, and disobedience that would bring curses, right? But it was Israel's obedience or disobedience that determined if God's faithfulness was going to produce blessing or cursing. And so, when this altar is built, all the nine and a half tribes from within Israel, from within the land of Canaan, come to think about making war against the two and a half tribes that have built this up. And when they do, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you remember? Don't you remember Achan's sin? Don't you remember all of these things that have happened in our travels where we were unfaithful? And as a result, God was faithful against our disobedience and caused curses to come down upon us even to this day that we are still suffering. They said, no, 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 this is not that type of thing. This was raised up to say we are serving the same God so that you don't say, hey, those people across the Jordan right there, we don't have any part with them. We're serving the same God. So this is a testimony between you and us that we serve the same God, not to bring a different place of worship or to bow down to it or anything like that, just to remember that we too are your brothers and sisters. And they walked away happy. They're like, yay, we're serving the same God. We're good. But notice it was all based upon the promises of God, not just the good promises, a blessing, but the promises that God would curse those who were going to be disobedient and not love him and follow his commands. They were worried because it was going to affect the whole community. So this is what leads us to understanding the covenantal relationship of God and the people of Israel. If we read in Deuteronomy, this is what, uh, at the very end of chapter 30, after Moses has laid out these blessings, these curses, this, this idea of repentance once we have failed and God has punished us and we come back to the Lord, we see this, we see this conclusion statement, if you will, given by God through Moses, where it says this, this day I call heaven and earth. As a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, it was important that the people of Israel were reminded constantly of the covenantal relationship that they had with God. We, if you guys haven't figured out, as we have read Deuteronomy last year, as we started with Joshua this year, there's these reminders Make sure you're serving God. Make sure you're following the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if you don't, 
The promises for prosperity are there for obedience, but those promises that harm will come to us if we are disobedient are just as much promises of God. And God wants life for you. And God wants you to love him so that you will understand the good things that he wants for you. That he wants to bless you and give you blessing. And so we find ourselves in Joshua 23. And Joshua 23 is probably about 20 to 25 years after the breaking up of the land. We know this, we don't have an exact date, but we know this because verse 1 says this, After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all of Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old and well advanced in years. One of the things I love about these passages of scripture is the repeating of God saying that he's old and well advanced in years, and then Joshua affirming that he's old and well advanced in years i don't know that just catches me and i like god you're old yeah i'm old i'm gonna bring everybody together first thing i'm gonna say is hey everybody i'm old (laughs) but this is 20 to 25 years later because joshua is about to die he makes that proclamation We don't know exactly when, but you figure this is toward the end of his life. And we know that the breaking up of the land happened when Caleb was 85 years old. And that generation, Joshua was going to live to uh, 110 years old. Scripture tells us that. We've already read the end of Joshua. That's what happens. So we have 25 years of wiggle room here, right? So I figure it's probably somewhere between that 20 and 25 years because it says a long time has passed. People have now lived in the land in peace for a few decades now. And you know what they need before Joshua departs? The way in which God has called all people to depart who have sin in their lives is that we're going to die, right? Is he wants to remind them once again of things that they should already know. I want to remind you of this covenant relationship. I want to remind you of what it means to be in relationship and in covenant relationship with God because it's important. And we have lived the last 20 years, 25 years in peace from the enemies that are around us. But guess what? In that lies the danger. And so he brings them together. Continuing on in verse 3, we're going to read the entirety of chapter 23 together. It says this, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out from before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Be very strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you're to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. 
The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of those nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land that he has given you. Do you notice what Joshua does in this passage as he brings all of Israel back together, all the leaders and the elders, and he brings them back into this place to talk with them one more time saying, I'm about to die. I'm about to go to the place that God has truly prepared for me. Before I do, I want to remind you. And what he starts out with is he talks about all the success of what has happened in the obedience of God and the grace of God, delivering them from Egypt, bringing them into the land, talking about how when we went to conquer these people, all these people fled from us because God fulfilled his promises. Every single one of them. And you guys saw that. And we're not done yet. There's still land to be conquered here. That God is going to, in time, have you finish this conquesting time. And when that happens, you need to do exactly what God says. Until then, here's what you don't do. Don't intermarry with them. Don't bow down and serve their gods. Don't do the things that these other nations that are still here and around you do that. Because if you do, God will no longer drive them out. If you do, God will be against you. If you do, God will kick you out of this land. He will be against you and he will punish you as he's promised. Because God always keeps his promises. Right? We stand stand forward, we understand that 100%. Now, hearing all those things, being reminded of all of those things... The people of Israel then reply. Found in verse in chapter 24. I'm not going to read the whole section. I'm going to give you the gist of it in this small section. But starting in verse 14, we see these famous words from Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
And the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. You notice that the commitment, the promise that comes from the people of Israel doesn't precede what God has done in fulfilling his promise toward the people of Israel. God's promises are fulfilled first and they're used by Joshua and used by the people for which they are reaffirming their promise toward God. We're going to serve God. That's what we're going to do. You know why? Because this is what he's done for us. He's delivered us from Egypt. He's brought us into this land. We remember all of that. Far be it from us to serve other gods. We're going to serve the Lord. And this is the order we see throughout the scriptures, whether we're talking Israelite and the people of Israel, or we're talking the Christian. See, the assurance of the future promises from God are based upon the coming of Jesus for the Christian. The sinless life, the death as a sacrifice for our sins, his resurrection, showing his power over both sin and death, and his second coming. The cross is the demonstration of his love for us. Inasmuch as the deliverance from Egypt was a demonstration of God's love for the people of Israel. That created that first covenant relationship that we see. His resurrection is a demonstration of his power to give us eternal life to those whom he chooses. And whom does God choose? All who would believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't get to make the rules. These are his rules. These are the things that he's brought forth. It's something that the Christian points back to again and again. And we're reminded about them in the sacraments that we take. Like earlier today, when we, took, when we took communion together, what are we reminded of? We're reminded of the death of Jesus. But the death of Jesus doesn't mean anything unless he rose again, right? Because that would just be a death of somebody else. It's his death and his resurrection that are inextricably tied together. That when we take communion, we're saying that he died on the cross. His body is broken. The blood is shed because of our sins. Sin leads to death. But why do we celebrate this death every single week? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And so we celebrate it in our sacraments every single week. When we go and do baptisms, hasn't it been great seeing so many baptisms recently? Praise God, right? And yet in baptism, we still see that picture that we become like Jesus in death, bearing the old man and being raised to walk in a newness of life. Why? Because Jesus himself has been raised from the dead because of our sins. Everything that we do here is a reminder. Why do apply? Because we need that reminder. You need that reminder. I need that reminder. The people of Israel needed that reminder. The reason we serve God is look at what he's done for us. Look how he delivered us from the people of Egypt. Look at what he's done for us. Look at how he has delivered us from the enemy and the sin that has entangled us. And made us enemies of God.
See, the cross is a demonstration of his love for us. His resurrection is a demonstration of his power to give eternal life to those whom he's chose. And it's something that we continually point back to because we need the reminder. We need the reminder. It's the subject of every portion of the New Testament. Whether we talk about the gospel, we talk about the history and acts, the letters that are written, or the prophecy that is in Revelation in other places, everything continually points back to the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done for us. Everything continually points back to the resurrection of Jesus. Everything continually points back to the promises yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. Colossians chapter 1 puts it very well this way. Concerning this sacrifice given for you and me and what it really means and what it really does. Starting in verse 15 it says this. He, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel. That you heard, and that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. See, this is a promise, and every one of God's promises are true, right? And this is a promise that God, through Jesus' physical body on the cross, shed for you and me, has reconciled to himself all things, whether they're of heaven or of earth. And he bids that you and me believe in that. To understand that that was done for you and me, for our reconciliation, for the evil things that we had done because we were alienated. Or for those who don't know Jesus, you are alienated from God because of your evil behavior. Not my words. That's the word of God. That's why Jesus came to die. What's for you? Because you can't do it in and of yourself. It's me. I need that sacrifice. It's you. You need that sacrifice. Because of my evil behavior, Jesus died. Because of your evil behavior, he died on the cross. Why? Because his promises are true. Not just the good ones that we love to hear about, but even the hard ones. And what did that do for us? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul shares with another church... This great blessing that's been poured out upon us. 
He shares this in verses 11 through 14 in chapter 1. He says, In him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And when you were, and you were also included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you like we talked about last week, we haven't got to that place yet. But just like when we look at Israel, that their deliverance and bringing into the land where they were at this point was the down payment for future blessing that God is going to fulfill these other promises because he's fulfilled all these before. He speaks them as reality because they are. He stands outside of time, so he calls into things that are not as if they were because they will be. Are you confused? But that's what God does. You know why? Because through Jesus, we have an inheritance that will never spoil, rot, or fade. Kept in heaven for us, waiting for us. I go there, I prepare a place for you. If I go there, I shall come back so that you can be with me. These are all those promises. We haven't seen them yet. How do we know that those things are true? Because Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And every promise that God has made, he has kept. So I have confidence that he will make and keep this one too. See, the resurrection of Jesus is a down payment for the future promises of God. That's what we're holding on to. Because God, just as Joshua said, has kept every one of his good promises. Every single one of them have been true. 100%. And so what should that do for us, right? So if we look in 1 John chapter 4. Verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, do you understand that the things that God has done for us, he's done for us because he loved us. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't even have to create us. But he created us and he sent his son to die for us because he loved us and not because we loved him. Just the opposite. We were enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And yet, that love sent Jesus to the cross and it begs us as those who would accept that love for Jesus to realize Man, what does that mean for me? Right? We move a little bit further down in 1 John 17 through 19. It says this. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. 
There's no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. You guys get the motivation? Motivation for us following Christ is because he's already loved us. Look at what he's done for us. Look at these things that he has sacrificed on our behalf that while we were enemies, he has still died for us. How can I do anything but want to love him in return? And my love, according to John 14, works itself out in obedience to Christ's commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Who does not love me does not obey my commands. Man, it's beginning to sound a whole lot like Deuteronomy, isn't it? And the blessing of God through the love of Jesus Christ that that works itself out in obedience to his commands, not because we feel like we have to keep a checklist of things to do for Jesus in order to stay on his good side. It's to understand Jesus died for you. He's wanting to spend eternity with you. And that means having a love for him because he first loved us. That's why we love him. We recognize the love of the cross of Jesus Christ. If we don't recognize the love of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're left with legalism. We're left with a list of to do things to try and earn the salvation that God has given us. To say on God's good side. That's not the way that that works. What we have to recognize is that Jesus has already died. He has already made reconciliation with all things by the cross and the blood that was shed for you and for me. And he wants you and I to recognize that. So in love we serve him. We follow him. We repent. We recognize that we have been made enemies against God. And only through repentance and what he's done on the cross can we be made right and he provided the sacrifice that we couldn't God's promises are still true you see his love always proceeds and is the basis for our love for him shown through gratitude and obedience Much like the people of Israel, those who believe in Christ receive their inheritance promised to them. Those who don't love Jesus also receive their inheritance promised to them. It's a both and. And it's why I would say very sincerely to those who have not accepted Jesus Christ that according to the word... Because of your behavior that is against Jesus, the inheritance that is there for you is eternal punishment. But God loves you so much that he sent his son so that it doesn't have to be you. And it doesn't have to be me. That any who come who recognize their position and understand what they've been delivered from produces within us a gratitude toward the one who died for our sins. That was the basis for the reconfirmation of the covenant of Israel. They were reminded of all that God had done for them. And they were like, how could we serve anybody else? Want to serve God. So 
yeah, we, we're serving God. Far be it for us to serve anybody else. You know what? It was God who brought us out of Egypt. It was God who delivered us in these 40 years in the desert. It was God who protected us as we fought against all of these people that he had us deliver. And we saw the glory of God in all of these things. How could we not serve him? For you and me as a believer in Jesus Christ or somebody considering Christ, we need to recognize the sacrifice of Jesus to have the appreciation of what God has done for you and me. And only when we recognize that, only when that comes into our mind and our heart, will we be ready to be able to say, God, I, I want to be like Jesus because I'm not very much like him now. And I know that you sent your son to die for me. And I know that there are yet promises to be fulfilled that I'm going to spend eternity with you that I don't see right now. But I know something that according to your word and according to what Jesus says, that if I come and the Holy Spirit comes into my life and I believe in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to conform me into the image of God that I might be more and more like Jesus. And man, that's what I want to be because I'm going to be with him forever. And I'm going to be praising the sacrifice forever and recognizing what he's done for me forever. I don't have to do it. But because I recognize what he's done for me, I really want to. Just stand with me. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're new here. This is the first time you've been here. First of all, thank you for coming and being here. My prayer for you, for every single one of us, is that we truly recognize what Jesus has done for us. Why do we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ? Why do we talk about a sacrifice? Why do we celebrate it on a weekly basis? Why are we cheering when people are going under the water? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Because I'm a person who's been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. From an enemy to a friend. Not because of what I did, but because of what he did for me. And because he loved me first through the cross of Jesus Christ, I, I, I can't help it. I just, I gotta, I gotta love him. I gotta serve him. I, I've been changed from the inside out. I'm not perfect yet. Someday I'll get there. Not on this earth. It's a promise that God has given you and me, and we're gonna be with him forever. And all of God's promises are true. Especially the one that he cares for you so much. That he would send his son to die for you. But it means you got to repent. you got to turn away from those sins. you got to trust God. That he sent Jesus for your replacement on that cross. And realize life is found in him and him alone. And there are yet better promises given to us that we are still yet to look forward to. And those of you who've been walking with Jesus, know Jesus, I want you to remember why we follow him. Because we can get in a rote routine, can't we? We can get, I got to do all of these things so I can be acceptable to God. 
If I could be acceptable to God, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. I do these things because he loves me. And because of that, I love him. No other reason. Our elders are going to be up front today. And if you've never made a decision for Jesus or never heard of this love before, I would encourage you to come and talk with these elders. Or any other prayer needs that you might have. And if there are people that you know who need Jesus, this grace, this mercy, this this sacrifice that as Christians we should never be tired of talking about because we're going to do it for all eternity. And if there are people that you know that need to know of this sacrifice of Jesus, and whether by your lips or bringing them into this place or in some way, form, or fashion, I want you to come and pray right here at this altar for those people. That God might use you or others around them to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. That they might hear of God's love and in turn choose to love God by following Jesus and what he's done. Man, what good news we have to share. You know why? Because all of God's promises are true. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder of how good you are and how all your promises are true. That we can trust you and that our obedience comes from our love when we're focused on your love for us. And how you demonstrated that through Jesus on the cross. Help us, Lord, to share that with the others who need to know. And remind us of that over and over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen.